our main scripture today is in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to go from chapter 3, verse 6, all the way to chapter 6, verse 2. I know. He's doing more than one chapter this Sunday. I know. Um, but I really couldn't stand to break it up because I would have spent too much time explaining what it's going to go on to explain. Does that make sense? So um, that's our main portion of Scripture today. So maybe just flip over there and stick your bulletin right there. We're going to get to another Scripture before we get to our main text today. But I want you to be able to quickly find your place when we do transition over. Um, once again, the Scripture that we're going to today is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be going on from there. I apologize, I don't have anything on the, on the screen today for you but you'll get over it. And I want to tell you a little bit about this before we get there. Our portion of scripture that we're going to today, it has one of the most profound explanations of why believers are not subject to the law, but subject to the spirit. Living out living not out their own righteousness or holiness or goodness, but as those who owe their lives to the Holy One of God. We are not holy on our own. We are not righteous on our own. We are not good on our own. We are fully reliant on Christ to be those things for us and for God to change us into His image. 2 Corinthians is teaching of living by the Spirit, not by the law. And this is not isolated only to 2 Corinthians. The letters to the Hebrews, to the Galatians, to the Colossians, and of course the first eight chapters of Romans really hammer this home. So if you come away from today, if you come away from today having more questions about what that means to live by the Spirit, what that means to live by the Spirit, uh, come and talk to me. And we're going to go through some of those other scriptures uh, but I really think that Hebrews, Galatians, Colossians, and the first eight chapters of Romans just are solid in understanding this. And I really think that we need to, to read and reread those because of our natural inclination to rely on ourselves, to fall back into our way of doing things rather than relying on God, rather than being assured in the salvation that Christ gives us falling back into somehow relying on, on the way that we will do things. So what are we going to get out of today? This text is going to signal us to examine ourselves. What is the truth that you were holding to? Are you ignorant of what Jesus accomplished on the cross? Do you know what it means when he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's actually our first little chunk of scripture that I wanted to share with you from Matthew 17, verse 20. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is completed, or excuse me, accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be, at le will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And we can all say from that, well, I know that my righteousness does not pass that of the Pharisees. So now what do I do? Well, you need Jesus. <laughs> we all need Jesus. Consider what is directing your every moment and decision in your life. Are you submitting yourself in obedience to the evil of this world and to your flesh? Or does your life belong to Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life to save you? And in Christ, are you relying on your own holiness to save you? Or is your life directed by Jesus' power to save you? His promise to save you. Redemption, redemption comes not through the holiness of the law, which we are unable to keep, but through the holiness of Jesus only. He is our salvation. Now we're going to get to our main scripture. So 2 Corinthians, where you had your, your finger, you can flop that open there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Good. And if your neighbor doesn't know where it is, you can just politely. There's no shame in looking in the, in the front to find it. And help your neighbor find it as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 is where I'm going to start. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, this was actually a, a verse from last week's sermon uh, because it finished at the end of the paragraph. And I said we were going to elaborate on it. And so now we are elaborating on what this means. What does it mean of this new covenant that Paul is talking about, not of the letter, but of the spirit. What is the consequence of the letter? The letter kills. The letter, but the spirit, okay, let's try it again. The letter, but the spirit gives life. So how do we reconcile what it is that we know we're supposed to do with what it is that God has called us to do, how do we faithfully walk uh, in obedience to God, not attempting somehow to fulfill the law to achieve our own righteousness, but responding with our actions to the love of God? That's how we do it. Responding with our actions to the love of God and the redemption that Jesus offered us. That's what motivates our deeds. That's what motivates our actions and our thoughts and our decisions. Not what we will do to earn the righteousness of God, but what God did for us. That is how we go about that. Take the time to think about what that means. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The law revealed our sin, of which we could not escape. But Jesus fulfilled the law and died so that we would die to sin. Jesus fulfilled the law and died for us so that we would what? Do what we want? So we would go on vacation and just kind of enjoy ourselves for the rest of our lives? No, so that we would die to sin. And now we live our lives directed not by this world or by the flesh, but we live our lives directed by the Spirit of God. Romans 7 to 8. 
Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians here, let's continue. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses, because of its glory, transitionary though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory, now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if that was which, if that, excuse me, and if what was transitionary came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I'll pause there really quick, and I'll probably be covering some over that again. But Paul is explaining to us all that the law revealed through Moses was intended to be temporary, a babysitter that shows us our need for God, that showed us the sin in our life and what separated us from God. Its whole purpose was transitionary. Its whole purpose was transitionary because it would come to an end and the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of holiness would be brought through Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So did Moses just cover his face to protect them from God's glory? No, Moses also covered his face so that they would not see that the glory was fading. And I say that not of my own words, but of what 2 Corinthians is saying right here. Verse 14 says, But their minds were made dull. For this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only Christ, only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. They are separated from the glory of God, is what's being said. They are separated from the glory of God because they do not know Jesus. Verse 16 says, but whenever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken, what? Away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's the context for your coffee mug, right? It's talking about the grace of God and the freedom it provides. Not the freedom to whatever you want to do. The freedom to submit ourselves to God. The freedom from sin. The freedom from death. The freedom from condemnation and the hope. That he gives us, and instead the hope that he gives us. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I have these parts, I don't have them on the screen, but I have these parts uh, highlighted in my scripture right here. 
verse 18. And we all, that's speaking about believers, those who put their faith in Christ, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So we're not separated from the Lord's glory. We see the Lord's glory. We're connected with it. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So we're not becoming a better version of ourselves. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. Not of our glory, but of God's glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a couple of big points to take away here. The law was always temporary. And the reality of that truth was physically seen in the fading of God's glory on the face of Moses. If you need the proof that it was temporary, there is physical proof in the fading of God's glory on the face of Moses. Galatians 3 is powerful here, but I did not bring it in for the restriction of time. So please write Galatians 3 um, down there. Number two, those who reject Christ are blinded from seeing his glory. They're separated from God. But when we know Christ, we are no longer separated from the glory of God. The glory of Christ is permanent, not transitionary. Number three, the context for the verse about our freedom. Who authorizes our freedom from the law? Is it time? Has just enough time passed? No. Until those things were accomplished. We read that in Matthew. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus authorizes our freedom from the law because he's the one who fulfilled it. Four, understanding sanctification. The process of God transforming us, not into a better version of ourselves, but into the image of Christ. Identified as his people, his kids, we reflect God's glory as we live our lives directed by the Holy Spirit. Through us, others can see the glory of God. They can know his love experience the the blessings that God has used you for and the way that you serve and love and uh, sacrifice. They also see the holiness that you represent as God's own children. Number five, Um, a point to take away here, this is not saying that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Um, If you read carefully, and it says, and we who with unveiled faces, uh, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, right? It's not saying that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. We know that we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. The Father is Spirit, the Holy Spirit is Spirit, and Jesus has a body now. All right, let's continue. Um, This is verse or chapter four, I believe. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. 
Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What is he saying? He's saying it's, it's not a secret. It's not hidden. It's God's saving grace, simple and true, understood even by children. And able to be judged to be true without any kind of deception or anything like that. He's encouraged by the ministry of grace, the covenant of grace that Jesus brought about. You know, the whole, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which was spilt for you. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, and who's that talking about? The God of this age, lowercase g-o-d of this age. It's talking about Satan. Has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not, a, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. We know, because we know Jesus, we know God and we know his glory. Notice the comparison that Paul is making from Moses to Jesus. What Moses gave was temporary, unable to save, and pointed to Christ, whose glory never fades or is veiled, separated from those who put their faith in him. Satan has blinded unbelievers so that they would not accept the gospel. They are the only ones that the glory of Christ is hidden from. Verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for us. Is the jar of clay, is that what's valuable? No, it's really weak, right? As soon as you like, trip, boom, it's broken, right? It's not super strong. It's not even valuable. It's the treasure inside that's valuable. Paul is saying that they are the jars of clay. They are the weakness. They are the, the vessel is fragile. The treasure inside is powerful. Paul is pointing to God, not to himself. Verse 8 says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that in the life of Jesus, we may, be, may also be revealed in our body. And then I have this underlined, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. 
they more than remember the sacrifice of Christ, but instead they, they subject themselves to persecution and punishment on his behalf. They participate in his suffering, which if you've, if you've read much of the New Testament, you'll see that theme again and again, participating in the suffering of Christ. In Philippians 3 and 1 Peter 4, you will see those themes. And actually, here's a theme from the Gospels for you. In Matthew 16, 24 through 25, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Participating. Those who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. They live not for themselves. They live for Christ. So the question is, is, are you alive? If you are, then your mortal life should serve as a sacrifice, as a testimony to display the gospel to the people around you and to the world. Your mortal life should serve as a sacrifice and a testimony to display the gospel. The love of God to the world that is perishing. You literally have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. Because if you have Christ, you have everything. Speaking on a side note, we learn from the New Testament of why, I believe it's in Hebrews, why Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. Why was Abraham willing to sacrifice his son? Because he had faith that even if his son had died, God had the power to raise him from the dead. Verse 13 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter, are we in 4 or 5? 4. <clears throat> We're just continuing. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised, Je raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Even as an apostle, as an overseer, Paul is putting himself behind his people, behind the very people he's encouraging in the faith. But underlying that assurance of faith, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I just realized a parallel that Paul, that Paul is making. He said that the law was temporary and the law was passing away. He's making a correlation now to our life is temporary and our life is passing away. Look forward to the eternal. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
That's exactly what he's doing. We live for the eternal. We live by the eternal Holy Spirit. We should all have Paul's perspective, setting our eyes on what is eternal, letting the security and freedom that God has given us define our lives, motivate our decisions, and empower the giving of our lives. Not for our glory, but so that others would know the love of God, that they would be saved, that they would know freedom. We would fight and we would resist evil, and we would give our lives to protect our nation and to defend the defenseless. The sinners of the world, though, are just as we are, just as we were. Lost to darkness without hope and without love. Their freedom is worth sacrificing for, that they would know the freedom of Christ. Our lives, our money, our minds, freedom won not with our effort, but by the power of the gospel truth spoken and displayed in us and through us. How could we make such a sacrifice, though? Chapter 5, Paul goes on, he says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. We have nothing to lose, nothing that can be taken from us. We have greater things in store. Verse 2 says, Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found, what? Not be found, what? Naked. Naked. Yeah, I have your attention. For while we are in his tent, we groan and are burdened. In this tent, we, are, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but wish to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And then I underlined, underlined verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Who has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What is your purpose in life? Your purpose in life is to share and display the love of God. through the gospel, to love and to share the gospel. That is your purpose in life, to glorify God. He is our creator and our sustainer. Verse 5 said, he fashioned us for this very purpose. And not only were we fashioned for this purpose, but he sees us through as well. He is our sustainer. He's given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And this is what makes you different if your faith is in Christ. If your faith is in Christ, you have the assurance of your salvation. It's not a maybe or a might get to. It's a you have God both now and forever. You will see his promises fulfilled. You will see the blessings overflow in eternity. And you will have him both now and forever. Verse 6 says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home and the body, we are away from the Lord. We're talking about physically. 
Verse 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. You can put that on a coffee mug too, right? That's just full of those little, no. What does it mean to live by faith and not by sight? Read Hebrews and you'll find out. Live by faith and not by sight. On the promises of God, we, our faith, our trust is in God, who we do not see for the things that we do not see and have yet to fully realize because of what Jesus has done. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. So this is where we're going, and it's guaranteed. This is where we're going, and it's guaranteed. So what is our response? Verse 9 says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. Verse 11 says, Since we know what it is to fear the Lord... Amen. <laughs> Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Paul is saying, you know the fruit of the gospel because you see it in our lives. We're the ones that shared it with you. It's the evidence that you need to continue to rest on the authority that they have as apostles. Don't listen to those who are trying to live by the deeds of the law. Rather, live those who live, excuse me, rather listen to those who live a life lived by the Spirit of God. Verse 13 says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for what? themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Why? How do you live by the Spirit? How do you live by the Spirit? Verse 14 says it. The love of Christ compels us. For Christ's love compels us. We are convinced of the realities of, of what he did for us. So obedience and holiness and goodness are all a response to what God did. Verse 16, he says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we, are, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And then I have a whole lot of this underlined. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The, the old has gone. The new is here. And everyone who's been put their faith in Christ recognizes this for themselves. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, as he has committed to us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What is the message of your life? Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. He saved me. He's going to save you. Come to him and be restored. Be made new. Live. Verse 21 says, Made him who had no sin be sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. Underline and dwell on that one for sure. Him who had no sin, he who was innocent, we're talking about Jesus, bearing the, our sin. And because Jesus bears our sin, God's relationship with us is not broken, but is fully restored. And so there is no barrier of sin between us and God because of Jesus. Jesus was innocent and he took our sin. We were guilty and he took our sin and made us innocent. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Mm. If you don't have a favorite chapter of the Bible, this would probably be a big contender because it lays out again and again what the gospel is to you, clearly. It is this call to faith that we all have to respond to. And so I'll ask you again, as I did at the beginning, what is the gospel you have received? What is the gospel that you preach and pass on to others. What is the gospel that you live by? Is it of your own doing? Of your own goodness? Or you rest in your life on the sacrifice of Christ? Trusting him to be your salvation. Trusting him to see you through. Are you living a life saved by Christ? Or something else? Colossians 1, 15 through 23 says... The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, heaven, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything... He might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that, I have, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which Paul, I, Paul, have become a servant. That was Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. We naturally try to rely on ourselves, brothers and sisters. We naturally fall back into that way. Remember who saves you. Remember who to rely on. Don't fall into legalism or your efforts or your power to save, to save you or to secure your hope. Our hope is not secured by what we do or what we don't do. Our hope is secured in Christ. And I'll read you a small portion of Romans 7. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit of death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new ways of the Spirit, not in the old ways of the written code. Our hope is secured by Christ alone, who without effort of our own gave his life for us. He is how you know that God loves you. And you know that you are secure by the promises of God, the greatest of which is the Holy Spirit, God living in you. So don't try to earn your salvation by keeping the holy law, Live for the one who kept it for you. Love God and love people with his love. Have bold, courageous hope in Christ who washed you clean and live your life to the one who saved you. And if you do not know the saving power of Christ, cry out to God now without delay. Today is the day of your salvation. With the brokenness of your heart, admit your guilt to God. Call on him to forgive you and die to your old ways and to yourself, and to your life, and put your life in the hands of Christ. When you do so, you will have the assurance of salvation. You will have life. You will have an eternal, unshakable hope that no one can ever take away. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of Jesus. Thank you.